From the Defense Acquisition University, this is the Learning Circle. This is the Learning Circle. I'm Anthony Rotolo, and my guest today is, well, it's me, as it turns out. I'm okay, I guess, but, you know, I really like this process the best when we have a guest who is an actual other person. But as it happened, I had just given a presentation here at Defense Acquisition University, one of those Skype webinars, and when it was over, we thought that maybe, since this was a recorded thing, that perhaps it could live another life in another context. So here we are. The talk I gave is ostensibly about podcasting. You're going to hear about what it is, how to do it, but it's also about some other things, including an overall shift we're experiencing here at DAU, a change in the ways we're meeting the needs of our students. Like many of you in this listening audience, we're expanding ourselves beyond the traditional repertoire of classroom and online training to a model that embraces new things, new formats, new channels, new ways of thinking about curriculum development. You'll hear a lot about podcasting in this talk because that's my focus, but I'll also attempt to bring across the idea that a podcast represents all those other alternative methods of delivering learning. Now, podcasts aren't exactly new anymore. They may be new to you if you're just learning how to produce them and making them a part of your mix, but they've been with us for a while. So the real innovation is in the mindset of learning professionals, as we think of ourselves not merely as, say, curriculum developers, but as content creators and as producers and publishers. In our field, this can be a whole new mind a profound change in posture. Well, I won't belabor this little foreword, but bear in mind that what you're about to hear was recorded on Skype, as I mentioned. So it's got that rustic, high-tech thing going for it. But even the rough aesthetic reminds us that, indeed, there are new ways of bringing content, and we've got to adjust our expectations for what's most important to learners, what's most relevant to our audience. I hope you find this relevant, and I hope it helps you. By the way, I reference a slide deck in my talk. You can download it from a URL I'll provide in the show notes. Welcome, everybody. I want to thank you for coming. I appreciate it. Uh, don't be shy about asking in real time. I, I'll try to sort of catch up to you or complete whatever I'm saying and, and answer as close to real time to, to keep your question relevant. All right, let's get started. So the name of this presentation is Beyond the Course, subtitled How Podcasting Extends Learning. I know you can read that, but I want to, as sort of framing remarks, say that this presentation is about podcasting, but it's also beyond podcasting also. it's The, the idea is that this principle of extending the course is something we can do with new forms of media, new ways of conveying information. Podcasting is really just symbolic of a new breed and new technological things that broaden our repertoire now. So we'll go through podcasting. We'll talk about how we can do that. I have domain expertise there. I've been doing it since its infancy. I'll tell you about that. But I'm involved with other media as well. So I'm, I'm always looking for the right fit. But just again, as an overall remark, just keep in mind like things other than traditional e-learning. And when I say traditional e-learning, think of the behemoth stuff we build where we get a requirement and a year or two later, if we're fortunate, we've got a great course out there. And I am not deprecating that in any way. That is one channel, but there are new channels. So with that, let me move on. So podcasting is a medium that matters. It's really gone mainstream. I don't know if how many of you out there have listened to a show like Serial produced by, I think that's an NPR show, 
It's a crime show, and that began hitting mainstream awareness when you're hearing it mentioned on the Tonight Show type of programs, which is kind of surprising because you've got more and more people looking for alternatives to terrestrial radio. Uh, sometimes you're you're in a wasteland on the radio dial and you just can't find anything to listen to. But with podcasting, which caters to that long tail market, you know, that infinite array of niches, you know, you might be into medieval folk dancing and chances are you'll find the podcast about it. I think that might be a stretch, but, you know, some of you are going to search that and you, you might tell me, hey, there's a medieval folk dancing podcast. What do you know? But, you know, with that said, terrestrial radio is alive and well. You know, this idea that video killed the radio star. You know, I'm an MTV kid, video generation, but it's not true. You know, radio and this spoken word format is doing very, very well. So we've got these parallel channels, and podcasting is just another alternative now. So I checked the Pew Research stats. This is from last year. We have 42 million Americans listening to podcasts weekly. That's 15% of the total population. This compares to 3% of Americans who go to the movies every week. And perhaps more important, you know, a lot of people would say, well, you know, there's that stat, but podcasts are, you know, we don't know what the drop-off rate is, so who knows if those are sort of inflated numbers. But the truth is there's a stick with listeners. 85% of listeners hear all or most of the episode. And I think this is a lot like how we, just in, in any realm where we take the trouble to choose what we want. You know, if you go to the grocery store and you pick out food, chances are you're going to eat it because you, you were intentional and deliberate. The same thing with this kind of food for the mind, and there's a sense in which podcasting is just that. It's uh, informational. It's entertainment also. It's often information packaged with an entertaining type of presentation, but we're deliberate. We're intentional. I think that's why we don't listen for 30 seconds and then quit. We listen to most or all of it as time permits. So very important. That when this type of stat came out, it answered those naysayers. So today, what are we going to do? We want to talk about what are they, how are they meaningful to learning, let's bring it into our context, and some words on how to get started doing your own. You know, as you live in your own existence, you might be working on a course, you might be figuring out how to translate a requirement into things, tangible manifestations of that learning to meet performance outcomes. We'll talk about how that might fit in there as well. A little bit about me, just so you know I have a little bit of credibility here. I've been doing this since 2007. That's like a year or two out from when it all began. I began as a listener like everyone else, but pretty quickly got the bug to produce something. At that time, I was very interested in design. I was rapidly gobbling up all the theories and principles and practice. I was leading a design group and I have, I think, a educational a latent tendency to want to evangelize and educate on whatever I'm excited about. So podcasting became a means of not just self-expression because it is that, but a way to kind of get it out of my system and to document thoughts and to know that you know maybe they can do some good in the world which is pretty cool so my first show was something called design guy and let me get through these bullets so I can move on to the next slide so I did that show I've been a guest or a contributor to a bunch of others and the neat thing about this is that like when you do it's a little scary when you do this stuff, you're out in, when you're out on iTunes and Stitcher and places where people can be kind or unkind with their reviews, you're out in the open market and it can sink or swim with public opinion and uh, you're doomed to obscurity or you can be the cream that rises to the top. Thankfully, I've got everyone fooled so far and people have given me nice reviews and a lot of these shows have had a, a life in uh, those spaces. Let's define terms. A podcast is, at its essence, it's really nothing more than a recorded audio file. It could be something that you've just hit record on a, an app on your smartphone. 
And that, believe it or not, if it's relevant to somebody out there, that could be something that you publish because a, you know, a word in time can be so meaningful to people. But it's actually more than just the audio file. It is an audio file that is distributed. Okay, and I'll tell you a little bit more about that. But a podcast, you know, the other dimension of a podcast is it's an audio message that is crafted. It's meant for listeners. So in a sense, they're like audiobooks or they're like lectures. They're mostly like radio shows. But in all those cases, in every case, for it to be good, for it to be valuable to people, you're typically putting some thought into crafting it. And in my case, a lot of that begins with writing. I see writing as the foundation of everything I do, whether I'm going very in a very highly scripted fashion sometimes, or I'm just going very loosely off of talking points. Either way, you got to come prepared. You want to respect your audience and craft something. But the technical part of this definition of podcasting is that it relies on something called really simple syndication. It is published. RSS is the mechanism by which you can click that button and subscribe. It is pushed from the producer's perspective. It's actually, this is not really correct, it's a pull technology. Pull is you, the user, saying, I want to pull this content to me. And then literally, if, if, for those of you with experience with podcasts, when you click subscribe, you can then tell your podcatcher program whether you want them to just come in automatically or manually as you discover that something new is available, but you're pulling it. You're pulling it off the shelf, so to speak. This is that first podcast I did. You can see by the release dates in the third column of that list that it's been dormant for a little while. It's actually out there. I still get quote-unquote fan mail for, for this. A lot of times it's it could be students saying, hey, you're helping me get through design school with this show. But the purpose of this page is to show what it looks like to have a podcast out there. There are customer ratings. You'll see in the left column there are star ratings. This has 52 ratings. I'm, I have five stars as the average. And this was also an, an iTunes pick. Apple d made this an editorial selection that they advertised in their store uh, at least twice that I know of, maybe more. But it kept showing up as a design culture program. The other thing I want you to observe about this list, and I'll, I'll touch on the point later, is that there's something about the, the a, pl a playlist type of media. This is something that is part of an aggregate. You may have one show that's about a specific topic, but it's in a context. There are things that led up to it, or it may be part of a series that you're going through, but it's not totally ephemeral, like it's once and gone, like watching TV back in the 60s or 70s. It is persistent and it lives in a context of lists. I think we have a question. Are there 508 considerations? Yes, there are. Now, especially in our environment, anything you do, and, and, and with the new 508 rules that took effect in January of 18, really anything, anything at all that is deployed over the web for an audience has to factor in 508. With a podcast, what you want to have, like with video, you want to have a transcript. You don't have closed captioning necessarily, although I'll point it out later with the other podcast I do for DAU. There is a closed caption element, but even because it's sort of I'm doing audio through a video kind of uh, tool, but that's a, an, an anomalous example. The short answer is a transcript will give your listeners something textual that they can access via a, a screen reader if they can't hear the audio, you know, get visual data from it. Hopefully that answers the question. Were there any other questions on that? Alrighty. So these are several examples. So uh, Design Guy is the one I mentioned earlier. That was the first thing I did. These other three that you're seeing are current things I'm involved with. For DAU, I produce The Learning Circle. This was conceived as a, with the support of the Board of Visitors as a way for DAU to participate in our industry, the learning industry. And so what's unique about it and a little counterintuitive is that the audience is not DAU. This audience is the world of learning and development. So think of instructional designers and other educators and 
learning professionals from all manner of walks of life who may be discovering it. They might have done a keyword search or something else and they hit it by Google or in the iTunes search engine or Stitcher or wherever they get podcasts. It is out there. It is out there. And so it gets discovered by people. And so that's what's so kind of dynamic and exciting about these these shows. The other two are passion projects. Uh, Kingology is a program out of England. It's not mine, but I'm a frequent guest, so I'm kind of a, effectively a partner on that at this point. And this thing called TV Terror sounds like the subject matter is, you know, light, but it's it's a it's a passion project of mine. I take seriously. It's actually uh, there's a lot of research into classic television. I do a lot of essay-based things, which means the format is usually me flying solo, but I also often interview authors and experts on television writing or personalities or productions. So that's out there, and that has a growing audience. It's had tens of thousands of downloads since I started it, and good reviews in the U.S. and U.K. store. So these are just you know examples of how the different – you're getting in just this space uh, – um, a range of the kinds of subject matter and how they live out in the ecosystems out there. The formats, as I began saying, are they're either single presenter, like an essay or monologue, or I can do like a topical talk show where I've got one or more guests. A lot of times this is done over Skype or it's done in person. For the learning circle, most of what I've done is in person. It's either I have a handful of instances of recording our colleagues here at DAU, but most of them have been folks on location as I've traveled to conferences around the country and met with folks to do in-person, on-mic recordings. So again, format-wise, you can fly solo, you can engage with other people, and you know, engaging with other people is often the best thing, is magic in the interaction. And so whether it's one-on-one or if it's a roundtable, this is going to lead to different recording setups. I can get into detail about that. But the formats I describe have been experienced on all these shows that you're looking at. But podcasting as e-learning, you know, you think about it when you, you take it, take us back out of that, uh, you know, entertainment context and you think about how we can impart knowledge. It's an audio presentation with its possibilities and its limitations. But what a possibility. The late, great Jay Cross, Jay Cross, some of you may know, he was a, a very powerful personality in the learning space. But he says, conversation is the most powerful learning technology ever invented. And I agree with that. There's something magical about human interaction. Human interaction is naturally becomes storytelling because we're wired for it. We communicate in terms of our experiences with one another. There's the very infectious call and response nature of human interaction. You can't be left hanging. You got to hear what's how, how someone answers what someone just said. So conversation is magnetic. It's powerful. It's a wonderful way, a wonderful medium to transmit information and emotion, the emotion that transfers the information. But as we talk about learning, let's throw around some learning jargon. There's this idea of formal learning. I've talked about the traditional or event-based offerings, those are your courses that could be, you know, any any type of uh, classroom or, or online thing where you've, you know, it's button seat where you're you're kind of the captive audience and you got to get with the program and do the do that type of learning. There's informal though, and and you know, we throw these terms around, but we seldom define them. Informal is really learner-driven, learner-centric. It's the kind of stuff that you do naturally, especially nowadays. You know, there's something new in your life, some new concept or new thing that you're trying to wrap your head around. And a lot of times we're Googling or we're searching YouTube or we're talking to a friend. Those are all not really planned. They're pretty unplanned, unscheduled, impromptu ways that we learn things. But it's an important thing, and, and the technology is now cap- catching up to this way of learning. Things like Tin Can or Experience API are methods through which we can cast a net for that type of behavior so that we know that 
a learner not not just was a butt in a seat somewhere, but they're doing other things, and that those other things count as part of the learning. Podcasts fit into informal learning, and this formal versus informal has been analogized through the idea of being on a bus. Again, you're you're the button seat. You're you're not the bus driver. You're gonna have to make all the stops with everybody else. You're on a certain. You're gonna run a certain circuit. You're gonna run a certain course, right? That word course. When you're on a bicycle, you're free to meander. You can stop and smell the daisies. You can stop by the beach. You can uh, do whatever you need to do as suits your whim and fancy. And a lot of time, that mood-driven or situational-driven learning is the best kind. Then it's microlearning. We're hearing a lot about microlearning. Microlearning is a word that's becoming formalized now at DAU in a big way. It's all bound up in, for example, our new learning asset life cycle, development life cycle process. We're hearing that word become formalized at DAU. And that's, you know, that's a very, um, it can be tough to define. You, you wonder sometimes what's the difference between that and words we already use like chunking and techniques to keep things specific and brief in duration. But microlearning begins to have meaning when you take something like a podcast, for example, where it is not only is it chunked and specific and, and a certain duration, not necessarily brief, it can be long, but it comes along with technological things that help its distribution that can make it a little more programmatic if not formal. So think of that RSS way of distributing in the case of podcasts. Think of, um, you know, have you ever signed up for a new website or their email list and they start dripping out to you like autoresponder things? Maybe, hey, get our five-week course on this and you begin getting like five lessons on something delivered to your email. That's micro-learning, and it, and it becomes more micro-learning-like when you've got those mechanisms getting it out. So think about that as well. I think that's part, that's got to be part of the micro-learning definition to help differentiate from mere chunking. This is that playlist idea again. You know, uh, podcasts come as one thing, but they also come in context. So as educators, you know, some have said that, you know, content isn't king, context is king, content is queen. Context provides meaning, it surrounds any given thing, and that's why the power of the playlist is very important. The power of the playlist also lets you realize the power of micro-learning, that technique of taking something and, re and editing it down to that one thing, you know. I'm thinking of Detective Columbo when I say one thing, you know, one more thing. But in a playlist, it's that it, make it about the one thing. When you make it about the one thing, this is also the antidote or cure to, I, I really bristle at that advice that videos must be three minutes, you know, thou shalt make videos three minutes or five minutes, or it's some arbitrary short duration, or else you're not doing audio or video right. That's a bunch of Hap. That's a bunch of nonsense that hacks promulgate. Sorry to be unkind, but that's not how you get to your short duration. The way you get to your short duration or longer duration is by being organic with the content. You figure out what the one thing is that you're going to present. If you have the opportunity to script it or plan it in advance, figure out how to do that economically so you make good use of your listener's attention or in the edit how to reduce it and isolate that one thing, that's how you get your duration. So, you know, th this idea of like three minutes, five minutes, whatever you hear, that did not come down on stone tablets from some mountain. You know, we, th this is the stuff we get in our industry. And it's it, maybe it's training wheels to get us thinking in the right direction, but don't feel beholden to some arbitrary limit. I just put out, in one of my shows, my typical duration is 20 minutes. I just put out a show that's 90 minutes and the overwhelming response was like, give us more of that. We want more. My biggest complaint about my show is that it's too short. Okay? So this gives slide to this idea that everything has to be short. The wonderful thing about podcasting, here's another thing to think about. It is not video. With video, you can, we're busy. We got a lot of other visual stimuli around us like notifications and things. We got to be that impulse to just work at our desk. With video, you often feel shackled to your machine. You want 
shorter duration. There's something about those factors. With audio, you're in a different mindset. It's like the radio show or the audio book that you settle in for, right? Because you got a car drive to fill and you know you can hit pause and pick it up later much more conveniently. You don't have to watch it. You can, you free up your, you literally free up your body, your eyes, your hands to do other things while you're listening. That's why audio is more powerful than video in, in many cases. In my, And this is a guy who loves video. I love the everything about filmmaking and visual grammar, but audio is powerful. I won't dwell on this one. You take it with you. You know, audio, you can take it on your phone now. I think this is why podcasting is going through another renaissance and going really ma mainstream. If people have phones, they can get to the stuff much easier. A big development, the last time I gave this presentation is how Google is getting into podcasting in a big way, of subtle ways, but profound ways. When you search for a podcast in search, you'll have an ability, much more mechanism to play a podcast right there. Uh, they also have a new app. They have things that are supporting podcasts so that that content is much more actionable to you when you discover it. Very, very important. And then workflow learning. Podcasting is less likely to work here, but it is playback media like video. So, you know, the way you consult YouTube to figure out how to fix something broken, a podcast conceivably can fit there as well, you know, but uh, more often we're thinking of other job aids and references that aren't time driven or the tyranny of the timeline you have to scrub or be stuck in. Does that make sense? So putting this all together, we're meeting moments of need. This whole idea of the formal and the informal, whatever part of the spectrum your learner is on, a podcast can be a part of it. Podcast can be a part of that course. It can be part of, you know, the supplemental stuff that a, a learner might be assigned or might be doing in maybe a flipped classroom situation, you know, whatever permutation you want to come up with. Or it can be just that wholly informal thing where you're going to create stuff where you have this vague notion that listeners are going to find it at their leisure at the, and consume it at the, the time of their choosing. So for all these reasons, it can augment, it can replace the heavy traditional assets. Audio is pretty quick to produce, even stuff with production value. I've been doing a whole bunch of video production right now. And let me tell you, it's a heavy lift sometimes. For five minutes of video, I just put in, I had a tough deadline. I just spent 30 hours getting a video done because I had a Monday deadline. Had I been only dealing with audio, it would have been just several hours, you know, to, to, at most for me to deal with that, not, not 30. And that was for a five-minute, excuse me, a three-minute video. Three-minute video, 30 hours over, and that's not counting the shoot or anything. So there's this economy that happens. The main thing you want to do in anything, in all things, is your analysis. And ISDs that are listening right now, you know, I think we're happy to know that analysis is figuring very prominently in the new learning asset lifecycle approach. You want not to be in that situation where you're defaulting to formats. You want to choose the right format. So I hope as you experience podcasting and audio delivery that this becomes more of your repertoire and you realize okay maybe that's the constraint of time I was just describing the production the heavy lift or the um, or just the inherent advantages you'll be choosing this and maybe enjoying better speed to market I think these podcasts will are one of again one of many in the new breed that will help realize the acquisition learning model the ALM is very much future state. I think it's something that, you know, we can't just hang on the wall and pretend that we're living it to the fullest. It's, it very much beckons to us. We are by no means there. We are going to have to get there. And I'm doing what I can to help get us there. You know, by standing up a podcast like The Learning Circle, it was a way for me to say, let's stop talking about it. Let's do it. This is what it looks like to have content produced on an editorial calendar. And what this does is it shifts our mentality. Instead of being downstream, very passive, where we get the requirement, very passive phrase right there, 
and then in that year or two, you hope you got something coherent to launch. Again, I'm not denigrating, but it's a hard process with some of our assets. If we can, by just the very nature of these kind of new animals like podcasting and video, think more like a content creator or publisher where you've got an editorial calendar and you've got marks to hit coming up and or maybe you've got a campaign driven thing then you can reach for more rapidly deployed things get things out faster and as these things by their context are part of learning delivery this is realizing the future state of the ALM the future of our ALM is a multi channel way of meeting requirements when I say multi-channel, we're not going to be a Johnny OneNote anymore. With we're doing a DL or we're doing a module or you know that all is now called online training. It's going to think of a constellation of assets. If you've ever taken a Harvard Managed Mentor module, that's a pretty good reference model for us. There is the online training, but it's all surrounded with video, audio, job aids, PowerPoints, things that cater to the learner's need. So a lot of words there. I'm being very a little verbose, I feel, but those are all the reasons why I feel like podcasts symbolize the new breed. They, they're their own thing, but they represent the new breed. Let me pause and take a breath. Do you guys have questions or thoughts that you want to discuss? So are there tools to create transcripts? Miriam wants to know. There are some tools. Miriam, tool number one, depending on the duration of your show, is just to a couple of things you can hand type it you can hand transcribe things that can be onerous when you're getting beyond a few minutes but the other thing i'm being a little sly about getting to is in the cases where you have scripted uh, if the format is such like an essay or monologue where you've pretty much scripted what you're saying that's your transcript okay so that's those are the advantages of scripting you're uh, an instant transcriptionist because you just save your script and that's your transcript as well my design guy show I would mostly 80 to 90 percent of the time script it I would take that document I'd post it on the blog and at the end of the show I'd say you know for the transcript uh, visit designguyshow.blogspot.com which is where that stuff lived there are tools though and I'll I'll have to dig them up. Uh, there's one I've used that's really nice. It's an online tool, and I can get that to you. For things that you're going to do at DAU, if it's going to pass through Kaltura, here's the thing. You're going to get within hours or a day or so, you're going to get a machine-generated transcript. So we have that built in. It's a really nice aspect of Kaltura. However, in our acronym-driven world, we have a lot of inhumane words that are acronyms and machines don't understand them. You're going to have to go into an editor. There's an editor environment. You can fix it line by line. It takes uh, one or two you know, sessions with it to master it. It's not that hard. But a long answer, but yes, we have tools. But depending on your format, there's different ways to skin the cat. For me, being a designer by trade for many years, I've learned that everything is in the approach, you know. And when things are in the approach, you, you, have the, you actually have the end in mind, okay. So it begins with an idea. You want to vet ideas. If you have an idea for something, try to work past a lot of the Captain Obvious ideas. Sometimes the top of mind stuff is great. Sometimes you have to come at things a little harder at odd angles to come up with better ideas, right? Usually brainstorming means the first 10 things don't count, throw them away, and then you start to get to like things that are fresher, newer, better ideas. Think with an audience in mind, okay? You want to visualize the person consuming it. You got to have a clear idea that there is an audience for it. We don't always know for sure if there's an audience for something, you know? Uh, even the best publishers, you know, every book they put out is a gamble. Some swim, some sink. And it's the same thing here. There are tools you can use. You can test things with Google keywords and things like that if you're trying to get a little bit of intel on ideas. But think with the audience in mind, vet your idea, and target them. Target them. Try to be as specific as you can in targeting them. 
for example, I'll go back since we were using the example Design Guy. When I came up with that show in 2007, I surveyed the design space, and what I realized is that most of the shows were highly perishable. They were giving tips and tricks that were tethered to a specific application, and that technique might not work anymore after a while, or they might have been talking about industry events or other things. And what I had a kind of a yen for was the principles. And the good thing about principles is that they don't change. They take a long time to change, at least. Oftentimes, they are evergreen. Think of evergreen as a content creation concept. You want to try to create evergreen content, and that way it lasts and it's going to be relevant. This is why 11 years later, people are still listening and downloading my show. I, haven't, I don't think about it. I haven't been thinking about it since 2010. But people are, it's like a time machine of me speaking to these principles, and people are still benefiting from it. So that comes from targeting an audience, being specific, and trying to differentiate by surveying that space. Here are some examples. So in the case of the Learning Circle, it's the L&D community, as I mentioned. Our brand persona is DAU, but DAU as the learning industry leader, with, again, the same hat we wear when we go and pick up our Learning Elite Awards, we are the entity that exists in an industry with peers to whom we're trying to appeal. And the content strategy was targeting industry figures, well-known people in, in the L&D world, authors, experts that have some name brand awareness. So I went out to them at conferences and places like that, and I ambushed them. I mean, I scheduled interviews with them, and we did interviews. The interview is its own strategy. Remember, Jay Cross, human conversation is the most powerful learning technology ever invented. And so we're exemplifying that here. And this goes worldwide through iTunes, Google, Stitcher, etc. When you're planning your show, now we're getting a little more practical. We're going from the approach to, like, how do you do it? Well, if you're planning your content, just like anything else, there's often a body to it, just like an essay, you know, you've, you've got an intro, you've got a conclusion, but sandwiched in the middle of that is the meat, it's, it's the content, it's either you flying solo or that conversation or round table, whatever it is, but this is a bit of an entertainment medium, there's a, you know, we're all showbiz folks, whether we like it or not, you know, so... Often you've got an introduction that includes music. You might want to pay an announcer. That's what I did with the learning circle. When I prototyped that, I, I tried to prototype it once and, and done, and thankfully I didn't have to change it. But with the learning circle, I, I paid for a professional announcer to do an intro and a closing. I vetted professional music. And so you got a consistent audio branding. This is branding for the ears. People hear the same thing. And just, you know, like when Entertainment Tonight, is Entertainment Tonight still on? I don't even watch TV. I haven't had cable in 20 years, people, so I have no idea. But, you know, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Okay, enough of that. What you hear the music, and it's like, I know that show. I know it's on. I know what time it is, right? You're doing that with your show, and it's kind of, uh, it's part of the, it's even part of the ritual. You don't want to make it painfully long, because, you know, when people are, working through a playlist, they don't need a two-minute introduction. You know, 20 seconds might suffice. And then the outro. You know, the outro is your opportunity to just remind them of who you are, where they can find you, and all that. Share the show, whatever you want to put into an outro. But here's the process. I've touched on it a little bit along the way, but a lot of planning. And if you've got guests, you've got to keep in mind that you're playing host to real people. So you want to especially when you've got important people out there that, you know, your their time is valuable. In my case, I was very cognizant that I am grabbing a slice of time from someone like Bob Mosier or Carl Kopp, expert on one, one of the renowned games experts, or Clark Quinn, you know, these people that are busy uh, presenting at conferences and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, you, you're going to be setting up a time, going to be confirming the time, you're going to be reserving a place, a physical location. You need a little process within your process just for that because you're playing host and you want to be professional and use their time well. You certainly don't want to be a, a deadbeat to them and or a no-show. 
In fact, I'm doing that right now. I've got a, um, this is a little extracurricular, but I'm doing an interview tonight for one of my other shows. And before I left for work today, I shot out a little private message to make sure we, we on tonight. I have, it's in the evening. And I heard back from the author. This is not a learning development thing, but he's an author. And I just want him to have the comfort to know that I know we're still on. Those are very important things. Scripting is the most important thing. Shakespeare said the play is in the script. It's a belief that everything is built on writing. Everything is built on craft and how you plan to present the material. So make much of that. There's nothing worse, especially in a show that's meant to inform in addition to entertain, when hosts show up unprepared for the microphone, you know, when, especially in a world where what does it take to even bring up Wikipedia and have that next to you near your station where you're, you're on microphone? What does it take to have a few tabs up as cheat sheets on something or your notes or to do the work in advance? So come planned. Uh, if it's a literal script, great. You're going to get a very compact result. If it's show notes, you're going to get a looser result, but in either event, it's planned and it's got a structure. And then in every production type of thing, whether it's video audio, there is the production phase. That's when you're actually on your hot microphone recording. And after the recording, you're going to edit it. And editing means fixing it. It means cutting the bad stuff out. You might want to not just cut errors, but you may want to, you know, you may capture so much that like a book editor, you say, let me take out the boring parts that people are going to want to skip, right? Again, think it's not about you. It's about your audience. So remember to delete the extraneous. And the other part of editing and post-production, this should really be called post-production, is you are optimizing the sound. You know, you got to crawl before you can run. But as you learn about recording and editing, start to learn about things like noise removal, things like, like right now we're recording in a room that's got a, an air system. It's the central air has got enough of a hum where a good microphone will pick it up. That's the kind of thing where I would record silence, relative silence in this case, just so that I can pick up that noise and then in post-production tell my software how to identify that hum in the background, that hiss or, or noise, and then filter it out through an algorithm, delete the noise from the sound file so that in the end, there's no hiss, there's no hum, it's clean audio or cleaner audio to the best. Those, those noise removal things are a fickle process, but those are the kinds of things we do. So we're optimizing sound. Other things include compression, leveling, normalization. These are terms you can learn about as you go. And then production value, that's the music. Those are the things that enhance what you've got. And then you publish it. Publish it is hitting that button and launching it to the world. This is when you, you are truly done. It's ready for prime time. And it goes out, warts and all, hopefully not too many warts. The good news is if you put something out that's got a mistake in it, you can still fix it and overwrite a file because in the end of the day, to demystify these, the way these things get served, it's a file. You can fix it and hang a better one out there. I've had to do it. I'm often working so fast that every once in a while I'm like, oh man, I said that or I didn't delete that or there's a long pause. I got to fix it, get something out there to overwrite it. Let me pause there because I am the fire hydrant that you're drinking from today. Do you guys have questions? So um, there were just questions, and let me pull. Adam wants to know, have you ever used your just your regular iPhone just to record, and how does that work with regard to the editing process? I've done that in it. You know, you know when I've done that, you can, by the way, you can get reasonable results with an iPhone, an iPad, or a tablet, or whatever. What I have done, it's not ideal, but sometimes, sometimes it's pretty darn good, and, and, and people can't tell the difference. You're not, and the reason why is just think about it this way. You know, there's a difference, but just the same way in the optical realm, there's a difference with someone with a big honking Canon EOS camera with a giant lens versus that little pinhole lens. That's the analogy to a microphone on a phone versus a dedicated, you know, Shure microphone or Samson or whatever brand you're using. 
Okay, but I've done that to the short answer is when I have I have been invited to contribute a segment to other programs where they wanted me on as like a guest contributor. And when I've been really pressed for time, I've said, hey, I don't have access to my studio. You mind if I record something on my phone? And you know what I did? I went to my car. Here's here's a little trick. You think of your car as a little sound booth pod. It's upholstered. It's mostly sound absorptive. And it, you can block out a lot of noise, and you can record quiet audio on your phone. And then you can, uh, depending on how big it is, you can just email that file or Dropbox it to, to somebody else. That's what I did in that case. But, yes, you can you can phone for things like that. Uh, other questions? So let me run through these tools. I, I'll be brief on this because I've touched on some of them. But... Um, when I script things, I um, I tend to be using either a cloud-based thing like uh, Ever. I don't trust Evernote too much for writing, writing long form. Uh, but I, I mostly I use I open up WordPad on my Windows machine. Very little distractions, and I'm I'm again the the play is in the script, as Shakespeare said. I want to get things right on the page. I want that's my plan, and often my literal content for the show. So. Uh, all the magic happens in little old WordPad, if you can believe it, right? That's where you're pre-visualizing all the, the stuff that seems so exciting as a show later. The microphone is very important. You want to spend, you don't have to spend a lot of money. I, the, my little secret, my little best kept secret, I use a 50 Samson microphone. It's one of the first USB mics. I've been using it for 10 years. I still use it to this day. A lot of times it's not the microphone. It's the microphone you have and using it properly that is more important than someone telling you you need this $300 microphone or, or something like that. Learn how to use a microphone properly. That often is have a pop filter, get close to it, know how to edit it in post-production. But there's a lot of great USB mics. Some of the brand names, a popular one are the Yeti mics, you know, like Bigfoot or Yeti. Yeti, Y-E-T-I. I use the Samson Q1U. There's the Q2U now. Things like that. There's Audio-Technica is a popular mic. But if you're if you get in the $50 to $200 range, you can get good stuff. Now, I have a high-end mic, which is like my forever mic. It compares to $2,000 microphones. It's the one I'm going to use for voiceover. I'll be doing some professional voiceover projects, and I need higher-end equipment for that. So the answer is there's a range. Software. I have used multiple things, okay? On your system right now, you've got a program called Camtasia. That can be great for video. It can be great for audio. The gist of this is that it's got a timeline-based editor where you can see a sound wave. It's a wave editor and where you can process it. You can cut out the bad parts and you can export to formats like MP3 or wave. You have iTunes. Uh, if you don't have iTunes on your machine and you need it, you can install that. I often have used iTunes to compress my audio to mp3 because I know that I'm using one of the best compression engines out there the iTunes compression engine the tool I use most often is something called audacity it is a open source free and I, I, I really like free I don't know about you but I like free and it's it's a wonderful thing it's not it wasn't built in some some kids basement this was built by MIT engineers at MIT built the software it actually has a decent amount of support. My only reservation, it is not, if you're familiar with the concept of destructive editing, this is destructive editing. So you're going to be, you better save your versions as you go if you want to backtrack because you're going to be making uh, ir irrevocable changes as you go. But it's a powerful wave editor that can import many formats and export many formats and filter the noise, compress equalize all that good stuff that you have to get good at and then I mentioned Kaltura for uh, podcasts outside of the DAU ecosystem you can hang it at places I use um, Libsyn L-I-B-S-Y-N as my media server for my shows 
You will often want to have a home page if it's in DAU. Actually, your Kaltura page will suffice as your home page. I would point to that from other places so you don't have to update multiple pages. And um, the point I want to make with podcasting is this is not going to be listened to under the oral equivalent of a microscope by sound engineers. It's going to be listened to people in their cars. You want high quality, and the quality is mostly in your content. Any deficiency in sound quality can be forgiven. You want it to be good. It doesn't have to be the most pristine NPR studio quality. It could be close to it. We have a question. So one of the things um, is that I was actually typing to everyone in the chat pod was this moment right here, where you want to extend the learning. And so um, what better way to kind of showcase what a podcast should be than this moment when time is up, class is done and everybody is going, but we still have questions. If we could take these boys and put them in our car or put them in our headphones when we were walking to our next meeting or going to grab something to eat, that's what the value of a podcast is. I want to thank everybody for coming. We're going to stop right here, but um, Anthony is going to um, be available to answer any questions and be more specific. I tried to capture as much stuff as possible in the podcast, but you will get a link to this um, video, obviously, the recording. But I'm going to talk to Anthony about seeing how to make this recording into an audio file to really demonstrate the powerful impact of this podcast. Again, I, I want to be respectful of your time. Thank you so much. And I'll shoot you an email uh, by COB today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you all. Thank you, everybody. Thank you for listening. To catch up on all of our shows, subscribe in iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Learning Circle is produced and distributed by the Defense Acquisition University.